that's the question that I want to put before us is, can we take this promise for us? So you say that because this is from the Old Testament. It's this question I think some people have of whether we can take the Old Testament promises and apply them to us as believers, as Christians. Hi, this is Allie. And this is Kyle. And we're here to chat about doing all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here we go. All right, so today we're looking at a promise of God specifically from Isaiah chapter 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So I love this passage, and I recently have been going to it frequently, and I actually heard about it from John Piper and John Piper. (laughs) We love John Piper. So (laughs) um, I heard him talking about verses that he goes to frequently when he's feeling anxious or when he's feeling stressed out or when something's going on where he needs a promise of God and this is his go-to. And so I've adopted it as my go-to now after hearing him. Um, He actually talked about how this is one of the few promises where God is actually talking and saying, I will strengthen you. I will help you. There's other promises of God where it says like, God will help you. God will be with you. God strengthens you. God is with you. Um, But here he's saying to his people, he's speaking to them and actually saying like, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. So there's something sweet and personal about it, not and not negating any of the other promises at, at all, because it all it is all God's word. Um, but there's something sweet about hearing from God what He will do for us as His children. Now, can we take this promise for us, for ourselves? That's the looming question that I will answer <laughs> by the end of this podcast, but. That's the question that I want to put before us is, can we take this promise for us? So you say that because this is from the Old Testament. And so this was written and he's God is actually speaking to the Israelites at this point in time and he's reminding them. So you're you're saying that because it's this question, I think some people have of whether we can take the Old Testament promises and apply them to us as believers, as Christians, or is that yeah, kind of where well, we're going? It's, it's not just Old Testament, but it's also New Testament because mm-hmm. there's a second person pronoun there. It says you. He says, fear not, for I am with you. And there's a, there is a you involved in there, and we want to search to understand How do we understand this? And can we take this as a promise of God saying this to us? And yes, we can know this and we do have answers, but um, that's what I want you to get thinking about. But that is an interesting point of how sometimes people segregate the Old Testament versus New Testament. And they'll say, oh, well, this was a promise in the Old Testament. So that was just to the Israelites. That was just them. But in the New Testament, though, oh, yeah, it's definitely to us. We're the New Testament believers because we're in Christ. Well, got a few issues with that because um, you're not seeing the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. You're not seeing it in light of the gospel and in the light of that this was an eternal plan of God for him to die on the cross and raise to life. And 
Jesus says, I'm the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. And he says, Moses wrote about me. Like, come on, like this, it's not just the Old Testament and that's left alone and that's not for me. And then New Testament is for me because in reality, if you're saying the Old Testament isn't for you, then neither is the New Testament. Like you were saying, it's been written to a specific group of people, a specific audience. What is, Mm. I'm sure in your studies, you've come up with kind of like, what is the context? What's the, yes? what's happening? Yes. <laughs> okay. So first of all, one important piece that I just want to draw out that my mind just kept circling around in the context is at the very end of verse 10, God says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Boom. Okay. That phrase alone with my righteous right hand, my right hand, etc., etc. You've got to understand that throughout the Bible, I mean, it the Bible is replete with examples of God saving his people with his right hand, with his hand, etc. Like this is an act of God, this is the will of God and how he is interacting with his creation and with his people and saving them. So the whole Bible Yes, it's it's completely encompassing the entire Bible. Now, what you see, though, is a switch in the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, you've got my righteous right hand. It's God speaking first person. Then in the New Testament, it's speaking about Jesus being at the Father's right hand. And even Jesus himself. Let me read this passage to you in Matthew. In Matthew 26, verses 64 through 65. The context is they were putting Jesus on trial right before his crucifixion. And they were basically asking him, are you the Christ? Tell us the answer, yes or no. So Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. Wow. So let me just recap that real quick. That very important statement from Jesus himself. He said, you will see the son of man, which we know from scriptures in context. Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. This is him talking about himself. And he says, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. This is talking about the judgment that will come. This is how Jesus will come. And it's a clear reference from all through the Old Testament when it's mentioned that God is coming on the clouds. This is, um, and then it's saying that you will see the Son of Man at the right hand of the power, at the right hand of power. Man, this is just a huge statement. It's a, it's a metaphysical statement to say that Jesus is elevating himself to being God. So first, we've got to understand that, that he is saying he is God, okay? By all of this context of the Old Testament and understanding in light of the Bible, because we always interpret the Bible in light of the Bible. In other words, we let scripture inform us of how to interpret scripture. So you've got you've got Jesus elevating himself to equality with the Father. That's why the Pharisees were tearing their clothes. They were saying this is utter blasphemy. So There's something going on with what Jesus was saying. That's the first thing that's jumping out to me about God himself saying, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
Well, it's interesting how you were focusing a lot on God's power and his might in this part of the passage. And what I was looking at was God's kindness and gentleness Hmm. in this um, of saying, like, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And he even talks about that a little bit more in verse 13, where it says, for I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. And so I'm sure you guys have seen this mm. where it's like the, the little girl or the little child, right? And she's being held by her hand or his hand by her father, or his father's hand. And it's just this gentleness and kindness of this almighty, powerful God that cares enough for us to say, I'm going to hold your hand and I'm going to walk with you in all of this. So like, I love that, that God is all powerful, obviously, because I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Mm. And I'm here to help you. And I'm coming to you to, to guide you and to help you no matter what is going on. That's so good. No, that's so true because you've got this paradox with God's power and also his gentleness, the the meekness of Jesus, who is fully God. And we see this balance and this ability to do this like unlike anyone else because he is God. And it brings to mind um, John chapter 6, where Jesus had something to say when the disciples were rowing their boat on the water after the 5,000 were fed by Jesus. And this great miracle happened. They were rowing on the waters, not getting anywhere. And a storm was crashing all around them. And here's what happened. John chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now, something that's interesting here that... First of all, I have to draw out because it's there when Jesus says, it is I do not be afraid. Okay. Aside from the parallel with this promise in Isaiah 41, don't be afraid. Fear not. I am with you. Be not dismayed. But this phrase by Jesus to say, it is I in the Greek, it's actually ego. I mean, That's the same phrase when Jesus says, I am. This is when he said to the Pharisees that before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to kill him because they thought he was blaspheming, because he was making himself to be God. Why is this significant? Because Jesus is saying, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He's making a reference back to when Moses said, who should I tell them sent me? Referring to the Israelites. And God says, I am that I am. Jesus is repeating this in the very same instance in Greek. It's amazing. He is emphatically saying, I am God. And here's why they should not fear. Because he's saying, I am is here. Don't fear. Like that's coupled with don't fear. Why? Because I am is here. God is with you. God is here. So don't fear. And that's why. So then when we read back Isaiah chapter 41, he says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jesus is saying, I am is here. 
So don't be afraid. And there's that sense of this great power that we see and this gentleness that he's saying, I am here. So you don't have to be afraid. And then it's amazing because he gets down in the boat as recorded in Mark chapter six. And then all of a sudden the wind and the waves, they stop. And you see this amazing power of God over everything. It's awesome. And now an ad. You have a problem. Me? What do you mean? You have relationship issues. <sighs> I'm sorry. What did I do? Well, it's not just you. We all have relationship issues. With family, friends, spouses, dating, bosses, classmates, people from church, and most importantly, our relationship with God. We have a relationship course and it's coming soon. Go to the link in our show notes to sign up for our email waitlist to get a massive discount on our course when it launches. And I think knowing who God is and being in his word and knowing when he says, I am, and I will do this, I will do that. Like you can't, you come to his word and you hear that. But if you don't know him, if you don't have that relationship with him, it's hard to take his promise and and believe it. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe that he has all the power, all the strength, all of that. So I think having that relationship and having that time in the word that you personally have with him every day to develop that relationship. So we were talking about the other day about how God is good and he only does good, you know? And so when he tells you, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you, you trust, you can trust him because he's good, because he is powerful, because he says who he says he is and it is true and he is faithful to his promises. But if you don't know that, and if you just take this Bible verse in isolation, you're like, well, who is this person that's being that is saying this? And there's weight because of who he is. And even just as a quick example, Psalm 119.68, that says, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. As I was studying on this passage and looking up kind of what was happening in history. There was a lot of upheaval and a lot of things happening around them and with the surrounding nations in that time period where the Israelites were fearing and God came and comforted them. And the way that some of the surrounding nations actually tried to deal with this upheaval with the kings and things like that, the surrounding nations basically turned to make other gods. They turned into idolatrous practices of trying to find that, find a way to find comfort it during this time, during something so difficult. God was coming and saying to them that he is their God and he was the one that he was, that was going to protect them, that he was sovereign over all the events that were happening in history, that nothing was out of his control. So they had nothing to fear because he was in control and he was going to fulfill his promises that he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was just reminding them that he was not going to abandon them. And I think the same, and it is the same for us in Christ, that he says to us that he won't abandon us, that he's with us. Christ came to die for us in Romans 8.32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So he already sent his son to die for us and to die for our sins and to redeem us and to save us from sin and from everything. So if he gave his son, 
why would he not give us these other things? Like, he already gave himself, so of course he's going to come and strengthen us and help us. We are his children. He's not going to abandon us. He is good again. Mm. He's a good father. So mm. that that was really interesting to me to, to find out that they were going through some sort of upheaval and chaos in history. And God was coming and saying like, hey, don't be like the other nations. You don't have to create idols. You don't have to go after uh, these other made up gods to try to find comfort to see if they will protect you. No, I am your God. I am the true God. And I'm here to protect you. And I'm here to help you. And I'm sovereign over everything. And this is coming from the God that would later send his son to die mm. for us. So good. He sent the most valuable thing that one could possibly even conceive of. He sent himself. So I want to look at that last portion one last time of Isaiah 41 verse 10, where it says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. As we've seen throughout the entire Bible, Jesus is at the right hand of God. He is the right hand. He is the one enacting God the Father's will. You could even say, I will uphold you with Jesus. We're ultimately asking, is this promise for us? Like, is this promise something that we can take hold of? God says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And if we're saying that he's essentially saying, I will uphold you with Jesus. Well, how is that true for them? How is that true for them in the Old Testament? How can this apply to them? Well, the reality is that if they are trusting in God the Father for his providence, for his salvation, in whatever way he would do that, then they are ultimately trusting in Jesus for their salvation. They are trusting in that future grace that is an eternal plan. It's not just something that, boom, happened at one point in history that was never conceived of before, but we know from the Bible that this is God's eternal plan to work out through Christ. So therefore, if they're trusting in the Father, then yes, they are trusting in salvation through Jesus. That's the future grace, and that's what they're clinging to. And for us that have come after Christ, well, now we are trusting in God, and we are trusting in that same eternal plan through Christ. So when God says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, yes, I believe wholeheartedly he's saying, I will uphold you with Christ. So if you are in Christ, then this promise is for you because God himself is with you and Christ has paid the price for you to be restored and united in him. God has been telling his people throughout all time that you don't need to fear. I am with you. I will help you. I will strengthen you. Similarly, Jesus, as he was about to leave the earth bodily, here's a key verse from Jesus himself in John 16. He says, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, this was before Jesus had suffered and resurrected. Okay, this is before the price for sins had actually been paid for in the real point in time, but he speaks as if this has already happened. He says, I have overcome the world. Past tense, it's already been done. Because as as far as God's concerned, it is done. As soon as it's in his mind to do something, it is good as done. So it's always been a part of God's eternal plan to save us in himself and to suffer and raise to life. So this promise of Isaiah 41 is rooted in the same thing 
of what John 16 says when Jesus said, I have overcome the world. The two things that these passages are rooted in is Jesus. Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus is our hope, our salvation, and our life. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at inallthingsofficial for the latest happenings.